everybody, this is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thank everybody that's been listening and sharing the show. Once again, you can follow us on Instagram at Kraz plus one. That's K-R-A-Z plus one. And uh, you can follow me at Eric Krasno, E-R-I-C-K-R-A-S-N-O. Been posting a lot of new videos and music stuff, guitar stuff. So uh, go over there and check that out. I got a lot of great messages about last week's show with Pino Palladino and Blake Mills two amazing musicians and artists and I just posted a playlist um, for that episode Uh, if you go to Spotify on your phone you go to the details on the episode you'll find a playlist in there and I gotta say some of my favorite songs ever are in this playlist because Pino played on so many classic records and Blake has produced and created some incredible music in the past few years so go and check that out As always, I got to give a shout out to Osiris Media. They helped me put this show together and they have some incredible content and shows that you can find at OsirisPod.com. So go over there and check out their other shows. Today's guest is one of my favorite musicians ever and uh, one of my best friends. I've gotten to work with him quite a bit. I produced uh, an album for his band, The London Souls, and he and I have worked on a lot of music together, written songs together. Uh, been in the studio together. His new record just came out. It's called Charge It to the Game. His name is Tash Neal. Incredible songwriter, singer, guitarist. He can pretty much play any style of music, but uh, yeah, his new record really blends the rock and roll, the soul, that psychedelic funk, but it, it bumps, you know, like a like a hip hop record. And you'll hear us talk about this in the show, and you'll definitely hear about it in the album. But uh, he was in a near-fatal car crash a few years ago that completely changed his life. And he puts all of that in this album. It's powerful lyrically, it's musically, everything that I like in a record. It's really one of my favorite records that's come out in the last couple years. So I'm excited to get into that with Tash, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, he's an incredible guitarist, songwriter, singer, band leader, and one of my favorite people. I'd like to welcome today's plus one, Mr. Tash Neal. I got my man, Tash Neal, joining me today. One of my best friends in the world, one of my absolute favorite musicians ever. That is not an exaggeration in any sense. Um, But yeah, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Man, I'm I'm always happy to show with you, man. Yeah, you know, your family, you're my brother. Dude, I was thinking about it, and I I, I I'm like losing track of days and dates and stuff, but uh, it's definitely I would say 15 years or so that we've yeah. known each other. Um, yeah. When was it that the the loving cup era was that like 2005 ish? Yeah, around like 2006, Maybe 2007, six. around there. I remember when you guys came in that night, Yeah, actually. First time I ever saw Tash was with the London Souls. And um, Neil and I, I think Alan was there too. We came through yeah. after one of our gigs. And you guys were just killing it so hard. And I've told you this story, but Neil... 
ended up like on top of the bar uh, and we were just tripping out and we just couldn't believe what we were hearing. Um, and it was, it was beyond just like the playing, it was the writing, it was the whole vibe. And, you know, I instantly was a huge fan. I think th- we tried to get you guys, it's a little fuzzy cause it was a late night, but I think within a day or two, you guys came up and opened for us, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, it was immediate. I think it was like the next day. I think we may have even like canceled somebody. I think you might might have. Yeah, we were like the London Souls. (laughs) But yeah, obviously you've been a huge fan. We've gotten to work together quite a bit uh, in the studio and in so many gigs and whatnot. So yeah, it's it's always a pleasure to connect with you. And man, I am so excited about the new album dropping. Uh, I feel like I've been Dude. able to, you know, I was there for some of the sessions. I actually played on 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 some of the records. That's right. Bass. That's right. And That's uh, right. so I've been listening to the tracks on and off, but I, man, I just can't wait for the world to hear this record. I've, it's been like one of those things that's just been like the best kept secret for the last like little while. I got to thank you for that. You know, usually, and I'm fortunate that we're friends because, you know, you, it's such a, blessing to be able to play music that you're writing for people that you admire because i gotta i gotta rewind this there was a time you know i'm younger and i'm practicing all the time so i'm getting up in the morning i'm watching whatever's on tv and i remember seeing so live on bet jazz right oh, damn so <laughs> oh yeah and and i was like what because i've never seen that you know I, I, in the modern context uh, musicians playing like i wanted to play i, I hadn't really seen that done and you guys were doing it. So I remember running into y'all, or I, we didn't run into each other, but I remember seeing you yeah. at uh, one of Warren Haynes' Christmas yeah. things. Like yeah. the year, like around, right before we met, met. Right. And right. I remember like, this dude's a celebrity. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, this man. guy. And then you guys came in and uh, that night, and I remember... Luckily, I was wearing sunglasses, but I was bugging. I was like, what? So I just walked in? Like, we were you tripping. You guys look cool. We were tripping. Nah, you, guys, you guys had the dope, like, posse, too. Your yeah. entourage looked cool as hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. This yeah, is unreal. Yeah, we rolled in kind of deep. I, I'm curious a little bit about what your, you know, musical experience was as a kid. Because I knew your dad and I yeah. know your mom and um, both very musical people. Um, was music just around your house constantly? Was it kind of a given that you'd be a musician? Like, what was that like? My mom, she's a concert pianist, and she was a prodigy when she was, like, a child child. My father played 27 instruments, and um, they both sang together and choirs, and um, they both went to Howard University um, and fell in love, and luckily that worked out for me because I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, you know, and, and so they had a um, acapella group called Just Friends, oh, okay. and they'd cover like Five Stairs, uh, Five Stairs Steps, Ooh Child, or uh, Mary Don't You Weep, but it would be intricate harmonies because these are all like Howard University graduates and right. geniuses, and I'm just, you know, so fortunate and blessed to be like a baby just sitting there and hearing these harmonies and hearing the piano work and and you know, so that was you know around me. Right. Um, I took my first drum lesson at three, and I was a little too young, and then started 
playing with the piano at four um, because it was at the house. You know, my, my mom, you know, did that for work as well. So thankfully that was around and I could kind of get to it. But she tried to teach me when I was four and uh, it was a bit intimidating because your mom, you know, you watch her and she's incredible every day. Yeah. My dad played really well. And I was like, I'm never going to be this good. So let me just chill. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, but there was a, an old Spanish acoustic nylon string guitar in the house that right. was sitting, you know, under the piano sometimes. And I remember there's a picture of me as a, like a baby, like crawling around it. Right. Um, but I never listened to guitar music like that as a kid. Um, my parents never played like Beatles stuff. We didn't, Hendrix wasn't in the house. Really? Wow. That's surprising. Okay. None, none. Um, you know, my mom, she worked for Sony Legacy and thankfully we, we could get, you know, a bunch of CDs and soundtracks. Um, so I just, by, you know, I listened to the Mask soundtrack, you know, Cuban <laughs> Pete and all this stuff, you know, just weird stuff. And, uh, but I'd find interesting music. I'd find Neil Sedaka on, uh, you know, Calendar Girls, like movies I'd never would watch, right. but I'd listen to the soundtrack because the CDs were around when physical CDs oh, were yeah. around. This is oh, yeah. a time ago. Yeah. And, uh, but to that point, again, there wasn't still like rock guitar or anything like solos. Or, so I did hear um, Nirvana, It Smells Like Teen Spirit. Right. And the muted right hand rhythm and the dun, 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 chik, chik, really right. turned me on. Okay. Like that really turned me on. And, um, Later, when I found Hendrix, my, my favorite lick that he's ever done, or one of them, let me chill, one of them, is on yeah. All Along the Watchtower, when he turns the wah on, it's like maybe the second half of the solo, but he just does this, and it's the funkiest, wildest thing. Right. I mean, he's just soloing just rhythm. It's just the illest thing, with the wah. Right. Um, but anyway, to rewind... I heard that and I was like, the guitar seems cool, but I didn't still didn't know about solos or blues or anything like that. Uh, and then when I was eight, my parents sat, me and my brother, Sean, you know, Sean, of course. Yeah. Uh, it's also my manager. And, you know, they sat us down and they go, we're going to uh, Manus College of Music and we're, you're going to play an instrument like this day on Sunday. Right. So I said, oh, okay. And it was rainy. It was stormy. I remember this day. And um, really dark. And my brother said, drums. And then I said, drums, because I wanted to be like Sean, right? And, uh, and then for whatever reason, I said, guitar, right? But I didn't know what right. that meant. I kind of just saw, like, oh, that might be effective, like, communicated. And then I started on classical guitar. Right. And that's what I did very intensely. Um, every Saturday, I had a full day of school every Saturday. And I do theory, which is important. Um, so that was really my, my early musical thing was like studying classical music and studying music theory and uh, working really hard. Like I would practice a lot. In the beginning, I hated it because I, yeah. I wanted to be good. Obviously, everyone wants to be good. So were you listening to classical music also? Like... You know, 
No, I mean, my because, you know, living in New York and my parents were in choirs, I would hear classical music. My parents sang in choirs in churches. So they would do complicated fugues or, right. uh, you know, just intricate things. So I was around that and kind of just by um, being near it, right, kind of right. was closer to it. But I didn't, for fun, listen to classical music like that. I had a, I had a great teacher um, who was incredible, Francisco Rodin. And this guy, Joe Rava, they taught, you know, it was both worlds. Joe was the kind of jazz guy. He taught me, he kind of opened my eyes to improvisation. Like, he did this one lick that was like, and I was like, what? Yeah, You know, and it just blew my mind. I was like, you just did that? Like, you just came up with that? Because I felt it. It was really bluesy. I was like, wow, like, that is crazy. Like, what is it? And then I understood what improv was. And then it didn't make sense when they, I started getting into um, counterpoint theory and then they started introducing rules. And I was like, wait yeah. a minute. If yeah. This is a creative process and improv, the improvisation sort of feels more like my thing. You know, I, I was yeah. getting into jazz, was getting into you know, Cherokee, all that type right, of stuff. Right, right, right. And, um, but uh, that was the beginning. And then uh, 14 was when... Um, I was at Interlochen Summer Arts Camp in Michigan. And that summer, I heard Hendrix for the first time. Right. And Stevie, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan for the first time. Right. So I'd been playing guitar for a bit. And this was the perfect time for that kind of challenge. So I was, I remember sitting in the cabin in the woods and hearing Little Wing on CD. Yeah, of course. For the first time. Being like, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's funny how so many of us, so every guitar player I know can like remember the moment that Hendrix kind of changed mm-hmm. everything. You know what I mean? He changed, and Stevie Ray. I think it's like, I mean, Stevie yeah. Ray was kind of like in that. He kind of, you know, drew from that style and and, and added to the evolution, you know, of it. Oh, and completely. Added, added the twang and the, the Texas like thing to it. It's a different experience, but you know, I had tried to learn classical music with the piano and, and lessons as a kid. And it did help right. me, don't get me wrong. But like the right. moment when I kind of figured out that I could play like the pentatonic scale and it was like this yeah. powerful thing, you know what I mean? Or, yes. I, it, or like playing along with like Led Zeppelin records and learning like the solo or whatever. Like that was the moment where I was like, oh man, this is a rush that's unlike anything else. What you said there is really um, key. Like that was my second job, like in yeah. high school. Yeah. Like, yeah, I would for ten hours a day just play along to records. Yeah, just literally play along to the boombox, or you know, get my hands on a song remains the same DVD. Yeah, you know, and and try to get you know the solos together. Really right. feel like you're in the rhythm of it and just do that for hours and hours. And it, it makes sense to me that you have this foundation in classical music and, and in like all the theory and counterpoint stuff. Cause your writing is really intricate. You have like this really great talent um, of like taking like music that's really hooky and infectious, but like making it, it's, it's like subtly complex. You know what I mean? And there's like really always like dope changes and cool harmonic things going on. And I I, th- I think it's really original to you, but I definitely hear like the Beatles in there. I hear like classical stuff in there. Um, I hear this like, 
you know, mixture. It's like, dog, you're going to make me cry on this Zoom. <laughs> don't do, don't do true, this. It's true, though, thing. bro. It's don't, a, do it's a, don't do this. I'm not joking. Um, <laughs> I, I want to back up just a little bit again, because, like, what rec- yeah. what records were your parents, like, actually listening to at home? Was it, you know, because, mm. like, they were singing classical, they were playing classical. Yeah. What were they playing in the yeah. house? We would listen to, I mean, The Temptations. Right, right. Even though there was obviously a Motown background. My father was from Detroit. Right. My mother's from Virginia. We'd listen to jazz. Um, you know, my, my parents actually tried to stay current. Right, okay. A lot of the time. So they would try to listen to what was on the radio. I remember a period in the early 90s, like, let's say, you know, Clapton and Babyface come out with Change the World. Right, right. right my right. parents loved that record. Okay, okay. And I was kind of playing guitar at the time, so, you know, we learned it. But so, you know, they were both open to new stuff. But I think that was the only Clapton that I, they ever played at the crib. My mom listened to music for work also. Right. She would have to sequ- sequence records as a producer. So it wasn't like a thing where I'm going to like put on music for fun. Yeah, yeah. Sort of a way. It was sort of like everyone was collectively working. So that's actually interesting. I never thought about that, but it's like you're kind of around that drive. So that probably impacted me in a way. You mentioned Nirvana, but I hear so much Beatles in your. And, and and maybe you know what were you did you have like a Beatles like moment when you were a kid like I feel like Beatles fans have different albums that like define their fandom uh, like what what was is do you have mm. one that was like okay this is my this is my shit well if I can't like if I can I want to like explain my relationship to the Beatles that's it's kind of fun. hit me so it kind of started the opposite right okay because when I got when I was even understood like my parents never played any Beatles stuff when I was a kid right so I didn't know who they were like no you know I didn't know what that was like when I coming up as a kid also you were like what it was I was listening to what was on the radio like Biggie was out yeah like it was 90s hip-hop was like perfect to be from New York at the time um so I was listening to a lot of that like pop music whatever was on but um so I didn't know about like classic rock or the Beatles right when I was 13, I asked my parents for an electric guitar, right? Because I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm ready for the solo life. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I walked downstairs on Christmas, and there's a guitar case. And I'm like, let's go. I walk over, and there's also sheet music on um, the music stand. Right. I walk over. It wasn't an electric guitar. It was an acoustic electric nylon string classic. I was like, oh. <laughs> but my dad goes, it's electric. And I said, right. oh. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And uh, so, but I'm looking at the sheet music, and it's both Beatles songs. I want to hold your hand, and she loves you. And I was like, this is whack. Like I was like, this is this is easy. These are just like three chords. <laughs> right. Why do people like the Beatles? Like this is right. trap. Have they heard of yeah. you know Jimmy Page? Like what yeah. what are they doing? And so I was like, this is whack because I was just you know ready for that. I didn't. I also wasn't writing songs. Right. I, I didn't know what songwriting was. Right. So, um, like, I knew that I liked good songs, but I didn't know what that meant. Even with the theory background, I couldn't apply it. So, the moment that it switched and I got it, I was in college and we all, you know, yeah. we all have fun and <laughs> try new things in college. Right? Yeah. Psychedelic. So, uh, I, 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 listen, yeah. so we're hanging out. And uh, my roommate at the time puts on Revolver. Yeah. From front to back. And 
when I was listening to like the variety of the music, I was like, wow, like this is, I get it. Yeah. It made sense. I, I heard the rhythm, I, like the beat, things were funky. It, it all was dope. I finally got the musicianship yeah. that they brought. Um, and then the songwriting really hit me. I started to understand the melody, working with the chords, the musicality of it. Right. And um, I'll never forget that night. And when did you start writing songs? I was, um, so in the beginning, and even like early records, like yeah. when the when the souls first started, yeah, it was a band called Pharmacy. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, and I wouldn't, I wasn't even thinking about starting a band. I didn't think I could start a band like that. I was, um, but I was writing like riffs, right. you know, in high school. I came up with like, what I thought was a song. Now I'd be like, that's corny. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not quite, I mean, I'm not, I'd be like, Oh, that's it. That's, you know, complicated. Yeah. But I would do like, not jazz. It'd be like, I would go to like the minor, like the flat five in a riff and just, right. just for, to be weird and do all these like two fives. And, and that was kind of like my first, like being creative and doing things on my own expressively. Then at like 17, I was like, okay, let me try to get these words together. Let me try to get a melody together. And it was very simple, maybe like G to D to A minor, but I was kind of getting yeah. to like songwriting and listening to my favorite artists and being exposed in high school to like everything from Dark Side of the Moon to, you know, The Doors to Bud Zeppelin to Mamas and the Papas to, you know, just all these different groups. And the first time you hear them, it's like incredible. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Yil Young. Yes, yeah. So that was all coming in. So 17, 18, I was getting into it. Around that age, I'm with same roommate, and we're in the Dominican Republic, right? And still college age, so like yeah. you said. It was, it was pretty psychedelic. And uh, we're on a beach, and I actually remember I was listening to Fixing a Hole, for yeah. the first time on this beach. And I was like, yeah. wow, this is yeah. unbelievable. I was like, they did it again. Yeah. They did it again. I was, yeah. I was also tight. I was like, what What? Yeah. What are we going to do now? You know? Um, and the next day, my brother calls me. He's like, yo, you ever thought about starting a band? So I have Sean to thank for yeah. even you know, us talking. So I was like, no, nah, I never, not. Nah. Because I didn't really have that, like, I didn't want to be a lead singer. I, yeah. I, I played with bands before I was a guitar player and I, I just didn't think my voice was good like I didn't think anything was good that I was gonna you know could stand there and do anything yeah. so and I was like I could try it you know like I've got songs like he knew I was work, working on songs and yeah. he knew that I could record so I said let me get a group together and then that's how the band started but listening to the Beatles I, I don't know it just took it to a different step like you said yeah. you kind of hear that influence just trying to keep it concise and trying to keep it the efficacy of it, very direct, you know? And was working with the band kind of like, did that push you to your output in terms of like writing songs? And did you write with them or would you generally like come to rehearsals and be like, hey, I got this idea? Well, actually in the beginning, there was four people, yeah. including myself. And then we lost the member and there was three people. And right. then at this time in college, there was a period where I stopped playing the guitar. Right. I actually like quit the guitar. And was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play the guitar. It's just stupid. Everyone's calling me Lenny Kravitz, Jimi right. Hendrix. Like this is annoying. I don't feel like doing this. 
And uh, so I started playing bass. And I would play bass in the band a lot. Yeah. And um, so we were like a trio. And I would just be playing bass and singing. And at that time, you know, I would bring in songs. The other guitar player was also a songwriter. Right. You know, and we would, okay, this is a solo section. A lot of that was playing off of each other. But most of the time it was, I've got this, okay, and I've got this. So it was mainly separately. And then it all kind of gelled when the musicians came together to make to make the record, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it pushed me also in a way that having that theory background, I would be like composing for two guitars, bass, drum, like thinking about all of those things, all those moving pieces. So that was super helpful. Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. on the album called Here Comes the Girls. For those people that don't know, I produced that record with with Tash and and Chris. Uh, and you came in, or both of you guys came in with like very specific kind of like completely, like everything was visualized beforehand, you know, which was like really interesting to, for me to be a part of that, you know, like, cause you guys would play, if you guys, rem- if you remember this, you guys put down the guitar and drums for like 12 songs, like the first day, you know? Yeah. And then the rest yeah. of the time was kind of arranging. I mean, we did a little bit of arranging where I might suggest like, what about doing this one? But most of it was pretty much there. And then uh, between the three of us, we added the mm-hmm. bass afterwards and then whatever yeah. other overdubs and, and did spent time polishing. But uh, are you, when you're writing a song, are you hearing all of that like in your head as it's coming out, even if, even if you're just sitting there? Because I remember you would come in and you'd just really be playing it on the guitar, but you would have all of it. For, for at least from my standpoint, it seemed like you had it all in your head. I think, you know, because at that time when we were making Here Come the Girls, like me and Chris had already put in 10 years, you know, right, right. or more. Yeah, so yeah. it was like, we really knew what we were going to do, but it was also different. It was so, you know, Oz, it's always great because we're like bros, but like we're homies on this. So yeah, like, yeah. There was such a comfortable creative process because like we trusted you implicitly, you know what I mean? Whereas before, like we made our first album, it was great but it was like intimidating because you're at abbey road and you're doing all this yeah yeah and um you know you don't want to say too much but you know you know the songs and you know what the vision is what we loved about making here come the girls was that sort of being able to decide okay kraz you'd be a better fit bass wise for this song right right you know? or like chris you'd be a better fit bass wise for this song but to your original thing yeah i mean we one, we didn't want to waste time in the studio. Right, right. Because, <laughs> right. you know, studios are out here yeah. costing things. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that comes from been doing it for a long time, didn't want to do it live. We knew how, you know, you make mistakes in the beginning, too. Like, oh, I wish I'd done this in an early record. or Right, right. You know, I, I could have pushed for a louder this. So... Making Here Come the Girls with You was such a beautiful experience, like a mixing process. Remember that? 
Yeah, totally. Like we'd mix to that one speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mix it down to make sure everything was coming through, like on the tiniest. And that was, it was, it was such a fun and free and kind of like. That was a great experience, man, at the Bunker yeah. Studios. Shout out to John Davis. Shout um, out to John Davis. Yeah, that's my dude. But that was when I was. I had the little room in the back too. So we would, we would, right. we would cut all the like live stuff in that a room and then hang out in the back and, and like, you know, sip the tequila and, and add the, <laughs> add oh the finishing gosh. touches. I remember yeah. that night running into Redford outside of the studio. Well, it was us. This was such a wild day Yeah, because like it was a beautiful experience. Yeah. Like it was such a great time making the whole album, and we were like getting down to like cutting vocals. Yeah, I think Dame came by. Yeah, Dame Dash that was there. Night. I think that Dame same Dash night that I'm thinking of, Dame. Came yeah, it through. was. The, it was the same night. Yeah, yeah. So earlier that day, uh, it was great too because like we've been homies for a while. So like yeah. you know like I don't like playing guitar at your crib like coming through like whatever like we yeah. be jamming and be like yo I got this idea and you're like okay that's dope like. I would send you all the demos. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I just remember that. I remember sending you. In fact, I want to go back and see if I have all that, man, because I'd love to like listen to those demos now. And yeah, like, like that, that, those the were the evolution. records, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those were the records yeah. at, the, at the skeletal bit. Yeah. And um, But yeah, so that day, I run outside, and Redford, good friend Redford, who um, was actually in the car accident with right, me. Right, right, right. And he comes through with a pickup truck yeah. full of bottles, cases of tequila, yeah. of mezcal, yeah, yeah. mezcal. And so we're like, he's like, do you guys want cases of tequila? We're like, well, no, yes. I, the funniest thing about that, too, is just to set the scene. We're on a random block in Brooklyn. I mean, this is yeah. not like we're like in right. the cut on like and back in those days, too, it was like that was like, you know, would you call I guess we'd call that East Williamsburg or whatever. I don't know what they call You're it right. now, but we're on like a random block. Like I never ran it. We like kind of walk out of this kind of inconspicuous entry, you know, door to the studio and he's literally yeah. right in front of us. And I think we were actually like going to the liquor store, like going somewhere. You know what I mean? He was like, actually, <laughs> it, it was so tequila. bizarre. Yeah. And no, was, to your, yeah. yeah. No, we never ran into anybody. Yeah, over that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Like, yeah. It was insane. Yeah, man. But I had. Some, but we cut some dope vocals that night. Yeah, I remember you cut <laughs> vocals on a bunch of stuff that night. Um, so many great songs on that record, man. I, I still go back to that record all the time and play it in the house. And so, and, and the and the previous album, the the first London Souls album. And I was curious. Right. I want to kind of rewind a little bit to that. Like, how did you guys end up working with Ethan Johns? For people that don't know, Ethan Johns is the son of Glenn Johns, um, and they cut their first album at Abbey at the legendary, you know, Abbey Road Studios. Yeah, that was an incredible experience. So that was really through our first publishing company and our friend Dan McCarroll, shout out to Dan McCarroll. Oh yeah, yeah. No. Who really championed us. And um like you have, really, we were talking about making this album and, and we'd kind of been playing a lot and, and doing really well uh, as a young band, like being in our early twenties he was throwing out suggestions for producers and Ethan Johns was really interested in making the album because yeah. we had made a bunch of demos with our friend, um, JP Nacera, rest, rest in power. And we were kidding. Like he was like, where, where do you guys want to like record? And we're like, Oh, like Abbey road would be cool. Right. Like, 
that's not that's not gonna happen. And then Ethan Johns goes, We're going to studio too. And we're like, What? <laughs> so wow. it it gets so much it was like beautiful. It was such a great experience. So I couldn't believe, you know, I'm floating on cloud nine for forever. So we get out to England and we're there for just a couple of weeks. The first week is for pre-production in Bath, in Bath, England. So we're over at Real World Studios and um, Sade was there one day. Wow. It was crazy. I would have been bugging. I would have been bugging. I was bugging. Me and Sean were (laughs) bugging. We were bugging. I was like, yeah, that's yeah. Um, so that was that was just pre-production, like just running the record, like yeah. twelve hours a day, like every day. So that when we got to Studio Two, you know, and we'd walk to Abbey Road, it was so dope. Like every day, get up from the hotel, just walk, get to Abbey Road, um, get to go to the canteen for lunch, and get like you know beans and like, yeah, yeah. eggs and whatever they eat, and um, and we do maybe two songs a day with Ethan when we got to Abbey Road. And that was uh, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like, the whole thing was live, really, because it was basically the set that we were, we were doing. Right, right. We knew that we were, you know, going to, you know, maybe overdub here and there, the second yeah. guitar to make it, you know, thicker. But um, it was live vocals, um, live everything, just intense takes and long days. But it was incredible, man. It was so dope. Like Chrissy Hine came through. Wow. Tom Jones came through. Wow, like crazy. it was nuts, dude. Just to like, because it's Abbey Road and talking to Ethan Johns and just being around, you know, legends like that, seeing you know a little bit of what they're about is really. Wow, that's just like you know? that's crazy. That's crazy. Definitely a dream come true to record in that studio, though. Absolutely. It, it, it's, Sabby Road, man, Studio Two. And I was, you know, how big of a Beatles fan I, yeah, I yeah. wasn't by that point. So it was um, unreal. It's like manifesting what you love in a big way. So, so when I when I was working with you guys too, like I think you guys had done that record ended up coming out Dame Dash, right? Did that come yeah. out through his label? It did. And yeah. How did, yeah. how did you guys link with Dame? It was really wild because like meeting you and and Neil and Al, like that random night, like you guys coming through, it was the same thing that happened with Dan. Yeah. So like we were at the Loving Cup playing in this tiny corner and like Soul Live comes through and then like, what? Like our friends, we are playing at this other place in Williamsburg and I think he had heard about us and he, and I remember sitting there and it's an empty, it might've been a Sunday and it was like an afternoon show and we were like, no one's coming Again, goes to show you like always maybe play the yeah. show. You know, every like, show you, ne- you never know. Yeah, every show you never know. So we're in the show. I'm playing, and like I look over and I see Sean's face, and he was like, look wild, shook, and I said, "What is this dude looking at?" And I look over, and Dame Dash walks through with like sunglasses and like a couple of assistants, and I was like, "What?" Like. It's Dave from yeah. Dave from Marvel. Yeah. And uh and what was really funny was that we just hit it off like immediately. Yeah. And and we've been friends ever since. You know, we still, you know, work closely together and talk all the time. And um so right after that, we started talking about how to work together and we'd done um 
a trip to China together. Yeah. Very early on in our relationship to play the Great Wall. Crazy. This festival there. And it was un- un- unbelievable. And we're playing the Great Wall. Just a quick story. We're playing the Great Wall. And I didn't know too much about the environment at the time. It starts raining. Everyone leaves and freaks out. And I was like, oh, man, like, I must have played a wrong note. Like, this is <laughs> I, I'm terrible. And it was acid rain. And everybody comes back oh, in ponchos. Shit. So I was like, okay. And they started doing like a circle, like running dance and holding hands. I was like, okay. Wow. Right? We're back, we're back, we're back. But that was um, fond memory of the Great Wall. Yeah. Me, Dan, the band were out there. Um, but yeah, he did not. When we came back, album was done. And he was like, let's, let's, let's put it out. Right, right. And at that point, he was working with which is very full circle. He was working with the Black Keys at that time. Right, and I remember that. Making the Black Rock record. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that's that's how we met. Yeah, and they were working over at Studio G, which was where I was doing a lot of stuff too. And uh, and then they all came through Love and Cup, which became the cameo, which is also like where we just like hung so many times. You know, there was so many like late night gigs and sessions and, and hangs in that place. Um, a lot of evolutions. And, yeah. You know, a lot of great yeah, memories. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Josh. Oh, yeah. I just spoke to Josh. Shout out to Josh. He's got okay. a new uh, project happening in uh, Denver, actually. I don't know if how many people know this, but, uh, you know, we made that record. Uh, Here come the girls. And shortly after finishing the record, I can't, I'm pretty sure it was mixed and done. Um, I remember we all did a show. We did a few shows, shows on the West Coast, right? Um, the Fillmore, yeah. when, you, yeah. when you opened for Soul Live, the Souls. That's right. And then shortly after that trip, you were in a, the car accident. Right. Um, which... Uh, you know, you can probably speak to this a bit more, but you know, it was near de- near death experience. Yeah. Uh, you were in a coma. It was, you know, I remember hearing from your family within a day, and you know, it was a s- scary moment for a lot of people. Uh, and you know, people. Not only was it, is he going to make it? You know, it was. If he if he does make it, will he be able to play? Will he be able to talk? Um, so maybe you can speak to that to that experience a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was probably the most important. Well, not a turning point, but most important like break in my life because you know, because I don't remember. You know, I was in a coma for about a week. Yeah. Um, so I'm really thankful, and I've can't imagine what it was like to think about, oh, I don't know if he's going to make it. Yeah. But to rewind, so we're doing those shows. It was kind of crazy because coming off of this, you know, great um, mini tour in LA, yeah. back to New York, and like literally two days later, um, I'm with Redford, and I was at his studio. He had a studio in Midtown. I stopped by just to check it out, and we were hanging out, and then got in the cab it was early like it wasn't even a crazy night just in a yellow cab like most people get in and we're going down Bleecker and Broadway and then drag racers come through doing 100 something the funny thing is right before we got hit 
because I don't remember the impact or any of that. I had said to Redford, and the driver remembers this too, thankfully everyone lived. Um, I said, because the, the first drag racer had passed us, I said, oh, oh shit, we almost died. Wow. And then two seconds later, we got hit. So the impact was so wild that they had to use the jaws of life to saw open the car. Yeah. And I got pulled out and they, you know, obviously rushed us to the hospital, but they could tell impact was bad on me because my eye was bulging out Ugh. of my head, which means that they knew that the blood was um, crushing the brain and, and trying to get out. So they take out half of my skull to relieve the pressure, which is happens. It's a craniectomy for, for uh, medicine enthusiasts out there. <laughs> yeah. um, so they take that out. I had severe brain damage and was in a coma for less than a week. And like you said, it was like, you know, the cops came and just they were just coming to check if I was going to make it or not to see if they needed to investigate more. Yeah. Because, you know, if it's not a homicide, it's like, it, yeah. So I was in this coma and they tried to wake me up once and I was paralyzed on one side, right. which is scary. And my pet, because my family wanted me to be able to do what I love to do, which is, you know, play guitar. So thankfully, next time they try to wake me up, I wake up and I remember this because it's like my first memory. Yeah. From like, because it's like old, you know, life and then life after that. Right, right. So I wake up and I see my family and everyone's crying and I'm like, what happened? And it was kind of funny too because. You know, it seems easy because they're like, do you know our name? Because I have no context to anything. I'm like, yeah, you're, you know, Sean, you're my mom, yeah. dad. And they're crying. And I'm like, oh, that was easy. Like, everyone, I'm thinking everyone's <laughs> so happy. Like, right, right. Why is everyone, this is nice. This is like a party. Like, and everyone's happy. It's great. And I looked in the corner and I'm on propofol, a yeah, lot yeah. of propofol, which is the stuff that Michael Jackson died on. Yeah. And I look in the corner and the doctor is pale, like pale white, like scared looking. Like I'll never forget the face when he saw me speaking and slowly backed out. It was like a meme. Like right. he just kind of floated back out of the room. I said, oh. so I kind of had an inkling at that moment, but nobody, they're not supposed to tell you when you get out and you're conscious from a coma, like all the deets of what happened. So I still didn't know what was going on. And, uh, but that was a wild week. So I was only in the hospital for a week after I came out, which was right. incredible considering, you know, I almost was dead. But the funny thing also was I came out and I remember I was coming in and out the first day or two. And I remember seeing you yeah, walking down the hallway and I was like that. That's that's my family right there. Yeah, I I remember I was in like I think I was still on the West Coast or I was still on the road when I first heard, and then I ended up taking a red eye, and right when I landed, I came there because I think I was talking to your brother and I found out that you were like just coming to or like because yeah. my the initial call that I got was like. 
We don't know how long he's going to be in this coma. You know, it could be weeks. It could be months. It could be who knows, you know? So I ended up coming back, coming straight there. And I remember it was like early in the morning too. And, uh, came straight for the airport there. But I remember you had the guitar there too. And, uh, I think you might've already been playing it or at least we're like, I remember it was there and your dad had been like sleeping on the chair there. And, uh, and, (laughs) and I do remember that um, we're talking and we're chilling. And then the the nurse came in and you were like, sup? (laughs) And I was like, he's he's intact. I was like, he's intact. It's Tash. He's here. I I uh, forgot about that. That's very funny. I forgot oh, about that. Don't mind me bringing that one up. No, that was, no, no. That, that, was, that was the one while we were all, me and your brother, me and your brother were like, he's here. He, that's Tash. Yeah, that yeah. was me. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was out there. No, she just got to remember that. The, the, the nurses, they loved me. It was great. You know? No, yeah. I was like, it was oh, it's great. Still, he, he's here. But um, it was so funny. Uh, I mean, within a few months, you were playing. You know, I th- yeah. right? I know that within six months you were playing sh- a show. Am I right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the process of that, like people are like, oh, how long do you recover from a thing situation like that? And it's really when the brain is, you know, way less swollen essentially enough so that they can replace uh, what they took of your skull with a plate, which is what I had. And that right. was about three months, right? Which is a painful period of time. And it was a painful experience. Yeah, I but I get the plate in, and I was so high. And I think we had booked a gig to play a wedding in Mexico. So I had to get an X, like a, a CT scan or whatever, right. to see if there was any air bubbles oh, right, you know, right. after the surgery. Because if there was, Can't fly. this is exploding in right, the air. Right, 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 right. So that was a wild, <laughs> that was a wild appointment. And so when I played a show, we, I was playing my show up essentially within the month right. um, after that surgery. And that was September. My accident was the end of May. And then was it the next summer that we all toured? Yeah. So then one of my favorite summers, I think this was, two, am I saying this right? 2013 now? 2013. 2013. Yeah. Um, I'm working in the studio with Tedeschi Trucks Band. I had been doing some writing with them for their records. And on this particular record, I was in there, we were demoing stuff and I was playing bass. Derek asked me to come out on the road to play, to play bass with them. And I was like, you know what, let's, let's go do this. And I think right around when we were figuring it all out, we discovered that the tour was coming together to be the Black Crows Tedeschi Trucks Band yeah. and the London Souls. So when I figured that out, I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do this. Um, <laughs> so that's my homies. That's that's the family. And that tour was one of the most like fun tours ever. It was one of my one of my greatest memories. You sent me that picture the other day too that I yeah, I yeah. post that um, from that tour because right. it was so dope to like have you guys on the road and like hang every night and like every night everyone would play together and yeah it was such a fast like year in a way so like i went from the accident to recovering for those couple of months got my plate put in and was like let's do shows and right when january hit um we got the tour with north mississippi all-stars right right so for it was like a kind of steady like we were on the road for that and it was like winter tour and i was petrified right because it's icy roads and i just came from 
a car accident a few right, months early. Right. So I get from there and I'm trying to come back to life and half my hair is gone and all this. Right. And then we get, you know, we're on the road and it's like going on tour, Black Crows and Tedeschi Trucks band. Like these are all my heroes. Like look up to you forever. I look up to Derek forever. And um, that was unbelievable. And then to actually get to be on the road with y'all and play with you guys and um, and hang. And it was so, like, you remember, it was so beautiful. Like, it was so, the energy was so palpably wonderful. <laughs> but, yeah, that was that was mind-blowing because we, we hadn't really toured that heavy before that year. Right, right. As the soul. So that was, like, the first, like, really extensive. It was definitely a national tour like that. So just following the tour buses and like, and you were playing bass. It was like our homie homies in the bay. Like this is truly the best case scenario of anything. And um, yeah, what a summer, man. What a summer. But again, like it was a, it was a wild year because at the same time, like that winter, my dad was passing away from cancer. Right. right. Cause you knew you got to know him. And yeah. one of the things I'm thankful for, like as a friend, like you were there for me, like you were at the hospital and it's a, be there for my family. Not everybody would do that. And it's funny because also not everybody's going to be there to see me talk to the nurse and be like, oh, that's my guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're, I, re- I mean, I remember that well that your dad was there like by your side the entire time, you yeah. know, in the hospital. He had the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Reintroduced me to that. But um, so at the same, so he passed away like that May. Right. And our tour was starting that June. So right. it was like literally the best thing you know you're alive you survive going on tour with your heroes and then, but it's also really a sad time and right it was, it was it was really wild but it was that's why it's also such a blessing you know that's kind of why i guess life works out that way because what a great way to kind of get through that and right I'm, right i'm out here i'm working also there's so many beautiful spirits just being so kind that kindness really helped with the grief. You know what I'm saying? Of course, yeah. Really, it was great. Like it was beautiful. Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. So the new album, it started, you started working on it not that long after that um, right? in terms of writing the songs, putting the songs together. I remember a lot of the sessions there at Studio G, which kind of comes yep. full, full circle um, where I was a part of that. You also did some sessions with Dan Auerbach. And how did that come together? I know that you guys knew each other a little bit through Dame. We had met years before through Dame, right? Yeah. Like. I remember one night they were playing a small show, and this is right before Brothers was coming out. Yeah, yeah. And like it was about to come, so like that was the album that kind of had all those hits on it. But like I, you know, being a guitar fan, like I kind of knew what bands were, so I knew who they were. But getting the kick, they were super cool, and getting to kick it a little bit. So we we knew him, and Dan had come to a show, and I remember looking at the audience at Cameo. I was like, Dan, I was like, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, there that night too. Yeah, you were there yeah, that yeah. night, and I was yeah. like, what? Okay. I but um, so yeah, we we'd known each other, and um, after the accident, after all of that, it was time to write songs, right? And I was like, 
I had to get it out. This, this album is kind of coming together that's about to come out. Yeah, kind of came through through the label. We were looking at producers and, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. So we go down to Nashville where his studio is and his studio was incredible and dope. And working with him was dope, you know. But very quick, it was um, two songs. And Like a Glove is out now, right? Yeah. I love that track. Yeah, tell me a little bit about the rest of the songs. All, all I see is blood. Um, well, by the time they hear this, all I see is blood will be out. And tell me about that track. That track is essentially about the the accident, right? Yeah, I mean that's really the thing. Like the whole album is kind of, and it was helpful because I had to, you know, how when you're writing songs and it comes becomes like a thing, like like that. Well, yeah, like therapy, like expressing like. You go through a lot and it's got to come out. Um, but yeah, for a song like All I See Is Blood, it was direct. When I was telling you before, when um, the impact of the accident, they knew that they had to you know, do brain surgery or take out half of the skull was because my eye was bulging out. Right. Now, when I got out of the coma for about a week, obviously not knowing a bunch, I'm looking... And I'm thinking I got an eyelash in my eye. So I'm rubbing and rubbing for like a yeah. week, right? And it's just not coming out. I'm like, damn, son, like, what? why? <laughs> like, yeah. yo, what is this? I get to uh, the eye doc, and uh, he says, oh, there's blood in your eye. And I was like, word? Wow. <laughs> word? And so, yeah, and then and he said it may, it may not, you know, go away. And it hasn't right. gone away. Right, right. So when I'm on stage or whatever, it's like, all I see is blood. Like I had to, you know, that's all yeah. I see. That was kind of a dope way to get out something direct about the accident. I can't think of anything so like spot on. Like it's a true statement right, for right. my life. But I remember being kind of tight, like angry, like I'm going to write this riff and it's going to yeah. be, you know. That riff is like one of the dopest riffs of all time. these songs for a minute um you know how things are is there's been obviously the band is no longer now it's just tash um mm -hmm. and there's been different label changes things like that and you know as we all as everyone in the music industry knows things it's sometimes things get caught up and take a minute to finally come out um, but this one in particular has been this one that I've just like had in my pocket, just like burning my pocket up, <laughs> just like <laughs> waiting for people to hear this. Um, but if you don't mind, like just a couple of the other tracks, I mean, the title is Charged to the Game. Tell me a little right. bit about that track. That I, I is one of the few songs where and I never write songs where I like have a title in mind. And right. that was the one of the only times. I was right, like, right. And it just happened where I was like, I, I got this riff, and I and I knew I wanted to do not necessarily. I mean, I wanted the whole record to be heavy beat wise, right? The whole album, just super black sound. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Just, I'm not just like, Ugh. so that just all came at one time, 
but also some uh, Bowie influences on that, like right, just okay. different bridges and all. Um, but that's kind of how that just came about. I mean, charge to the game, yo. Like you get in the cab, they take half of your skull, but you make it. Yeah, charge to the game. Like that's right. where you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> right, that's, right, right. That's where I was coming from. Like yeah, it all yeah. made sense. Um, these songs, like it was after the accident, I'm coming up with this collection of songs. Another single that's coming up, Boomerang. Yeah. I came to you Love and I was like, yeah, yeah, I need you to check out this idea I'm working on. I remember coming in the studio and you had had this new keyboard that had all of Bertie Rowell's sounds on it. Yeah, yeah, I still got you it. It's that? actually right there. It's behind <laughs> me. Right here. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and, well, and he signed yes. it because I he came through yeah. he came through and played it, you know, Bernie rest in peace, the Voyager, the the Moog, and he let me save his patches in. Yeah, and then we yep. threw that on that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. We nerd we nerded out for yeah, a few yeah. hours yeah, on yeah. just the sounds, but um, but yeah, it was just brewing and uh, but I think it's like the perfect timing, like all of that. Yeah, it had to come out around this time, I think, and, and everything came fell, fell in that place. That's that's the crazy thing. I mean, when you your first single, something ain't right. I remember that session well. In fact, I have somewhere the video of like Chris laying some synth, some of that synth bass down and some of the other session stuff that was going on. Um, but it, the timing of that couldn't have been more perfect in a way. And unfortunately, well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, man. Like when I was writing that, it was when literally I was, had the acoustic and Philando Castile got murdered. Right. And I was like, what is this? And, and this has been happening. Right. You know, filmed murders by the state so i was like this is it was just getting too much right um so wrote that and um and wanted to be upbeat but i never played an angrier bass line in my life right you saw that so i was like Ugh. what's interesting about it and about this record is that it's like super soulful it's funky but it's like rock and roll but you're also like addressing what i feel more I feel like more artists should be addressing, which is that that shit is the state of how things are right now. You know, you had yeah. so many artists in the 60s and 70s addressing, you know, what's going on. I'm not saying we don't. And I feel like a lot of times we do in like hip hop music, but not necessarily in the in the way that you're doing it. You know, I mean, I appreciate that. It's It's like the thing that upsets me a lot is when they try to do a kind of kumbaya thing, which is rather toxic right? Um, to do. It's, rather, it's like a, abusive in a way. I if you're in an abusive relationship, someone's, oh, let's just get over it. Let's, here's a picture of a black and white kid hugging. Right, right. You right, know, or all that. Right. And it's like, I don't want to see that because it doesn't address anything. Right. And then something in right, I want to directly, I wanted to directly say, like, though you treat it like a chore, which people be treating it like a chore Yeah, that black people exist on the planet. Our lives matter just like yours. Right. And frankly, I hope it stirs something up. And if it does, something might be wrong with you. Right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. if you feel the type of way, that says a lot about you, not me stating a fact. I don't know. I, I just wanted to do it my way and, and, and like in the second verse directly address, you know, if your freedoms were ignored, and our wealth was never yours because 
we live in a capitalist society and things like generational wealth transfer, things like, you know, when you inherit a house, you're not going to say, oh, I didn't earn that. That's from ancient times. You know, my ancestors, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, you're right. going to accept that. Right. People don't have a problem with that. But when it comes to reparations or labor that they know, or they love to talk about Abraham Lincoln, how he freed the slave, they love to talk about it. Right, right. But they don't want to talk about the labor that was free or maybe cut the check for that. But they still reap the benefits from a capitalist society, which, you know. You know. Absolutely. So I, I just had to say it directly and shout out to um, my brother, Sean, for helping get the lyric video together. Yeah. Because we cut that right after George Floyd was murdered. And it just got to be too much. And especially yeah. to see how people, like, I wasn't really on social media like that right. before the planet shut down in the 100-year pandemic. Right, you know, right. Once in the 100-year pandemic. So I got on just, you know, to reconnect and, and play some music and all that. And I just people that friended me, you know, yeah. or people that wanted to be friends or, like, followed me or liked music were saying the most vitriolic, vile you know, I just couldn't believe it. Like music fans, it it was very mind blowing. And I said, "Do they not know <laughs> that right. I'm like they don't see my picture on the right? Like where do they think? You know." Um, so it, it was it was rather eye opening, and I'm I'm just glad that the song was was ready. Yeah, and yeah. Um, shout out to Black Hill Records, the label, because they they were on board. You know, I right. don't. I can't think of a lot of companies that are willing to allow someone to say something like that, and I, and I appreciate that. You know, what, what's your what's some of your your other favorite tracks? I, I, I you know, selfishly, it's kind of weird, but but one mistake is kind of my joint. I, I, I know it's kind of messed up to say because I played bass on it, but that bridge is so All right. ill. All right, here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. That is also one of my favorite. Joints because, and I said this to um, to Gary Walton. Shout out to Gary. One of my favorite bass, like, just one-offs ever. But I'm talking like you know I'm, I'm a James Jameson stand yeah, yeah, for life. Yeah, yeah. You do this one walking thing that is like the perfectly timed, swaggiest, like intricate, filthiest, but most melodic, beautiful, just. I don't want to give it away, but people will hear this. People will hear this. And so I got to thank you for that. But I, every time I hear this one bass line, it, it makes the whole song for me. So selfishly, ah, man, I appreciate that. I can't even take credit for the no, record, I, which is, I, I which is whack. I know the moment you're talking about. I, there's certain changes that inspire certain things and you're right it's james jameson paul jackson i always yes. try, those are the two my two cats that i try to edge in whatever whatever the i dog, can i saw you on tv playing the guitar i didn't know <laughs> you were playing bass like this and i was so tight like what i when i learned that you were like a filthy bass player i was like really dog wow okay well damn cool. i mean some of my favorite bass or like it's things that i've done like playing on uh like steady on the on that like yeah i you mean the thing is when i'm playing with the all cats it's like it, it except you know it puts me in a place that i you know getting to play with with you and chris and you know that's always always a blessing and tell me about uh the new band a little bit too yeah shout out to um 
Shout out to Danny Clinch. Uh, the great, great Danny Clinch. Yep. Famous photographer. He was doing these jams at yeah. his studio. Oh, you know that, each other oh that's how it happened. Years. That's how you met those guys. Yeah. Okay. So I, and I almost didn't make it, which right, is a right. wild thing. And Souls had been off and I was like starting to do these new songs and I was starting to write more and more. And I walk in and we're playing, like, I'm not playing it. I got my guitar in the corner. It's me. And I, see, I look across the room and I see who I later find out is Matt, Matt Godfrey. But he's not playing it because we're like one of only a couple of black people in the place. So I'm like, right. hey, what's up, bro? Okay, you good? Yeah. Me too. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm watching him play and he gets up and I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah. Like this dude is the wildest keyboard player ever. Like I'm not yeah. even, I, I couldn't. Then coming from, you know, church background and a lot of dope, very soulful pianists from like mid 20th century, you know, like that are yeah. steeped in it. I remember this guy who played piano with my parents. He passed away, but he was from South Carolina, one of the filthiest. Piano. I, I mean, I, I just never thought I'd hear soulful playing like this. And when I heard Matt play, it reminded me of that. And I was like, wow. I mean, the talent was unreal. Fortunately, I got to get up with the guitar and then we started playing together. And it just was like that. Right, right. It was just like, and not, you know, it was just like the room disappeared and it was just like, we were just wilding. Right, right. It was like, it was insane. And then um, I was like, we have to be in a band. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, word. And then he said, hey, you know, I want you to meet my brothers. And I said, what do you mean? It's like, oh, these brothers. I said, okay. And turns out, he's got two brothers. Shout out to Jordan. Shout out to David. They are incredible musicians. Right, fun. right. We meet, hit it off, and drums, guitar play, and then like literally, we love the music, we love the same stuff. So we've been cultivating the album, Charge to the Game, yeah. for years, just right, playing right. these songs, like before the pandemic stopped. Yeah. Shot the video for like a glove. So I remember the first rehearsal, I'm playing Boomerang, and it was just so wild, it was yeah. so heavy, and it, it was so beautiful to come and communion with these guys and just develop this brotherhood collectively. Yeah, I remember Sean sent me that video, I think, from that first session. I was like, damn. So the album, Charge to the Game, March 12th. Uh, do you have a date for the for the live stream? You know, just keep 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 watching my my Instagram at Tash underscore Neil. At keep Tash watching, underscore you know, Neil. Also, are you right. still doing the uh the quick quarantine concerts? My brother. <laughs> My brother, yeah. I am. Okay, Shout out to the Quick Quarantine concert every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. I, I wanted to, like, at the beginning, when everything shut down, this is like April, and I, again, like, I wasn't on social media like that yeah. before. I was like, yo, let me just do something. I don't want to, because I'm still kind of, like, uh, shy, but, like, I don't want to make people feel like they have to come to a thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm still kind of, like, that anti, like, self-promotional, like, I'm not, I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know. So I was like, listen, I'll, I'll do a quick 
yeah. concert. You know, no pressure, guys. Um, and we're all quarantined. So I thought I'd throw the third cue on there, and it's a concert. It it's works, man. Now. I've been and tuning in. I love it, man. I love hearing you do like some of your stuff, and then you've had themes. You've been doing some Beatles stuff. You've been doing some, you know, mixing it up. Um, it's been fun, man. I, I did like a a couple of uh, Stevie Wonder nights. Oh, like dope. a lot of times, it was great to challenge myself to learn songs I never learned before. Yeah, because yep. that's one of the blessings about being off for a minute is really challenging yourself. Not only having the time to write a bunch of material, yeah, um, but yeah, to learn, you know. It's dope, man. So well, check it I'm, out. I'm excited for the next one, and I can't wait to see the band play these songs live. Everybody go right now and stream Charge It to the Game, Tash, Neil. Um, also, I'm just going to mention it right quick that you and I got some tracks that hopefully hey. we'll see the light of day. Crash. It's the Crash, Crash. Tash project. Um, Y'all, so I'm so, I can't I'm, wait for people to well, hear that. Yeah, maybe I'll have to bring you back on when we when we get that done and, and get it out to the world. But man, thank you so much for taking the time. And thank always you, a pleasure to connect, my man. Love you, man. You too, brother. All right, we'll talk soon. I want to thank Tash for being on the show and want to remind you guys to go check out the new album, Charge It to the Game. You can find him on Instagram at Tash underscore Neil. And I think it's just Tash Neil on Facebook and whatnot. Uh, Before we go, I'm going to play a song off of the album, Charge It to the Game. I actually played bass on this track. I love this track and I just love his songwriting in general. Uh, This one's called My One Mistake.
Eric Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.